Am I on? Can you hear me? Oh, great. Oh. Uh, the fellow that you saw that was witnessing a minute ago is named Doug McPherson. He's been with Fresh Wind now for a couple of years and uh, quite a transformation in his life. So uh, I'm excited to be able to talk to you today. My name is Jerry Kaiser. I'm on staff here. Uh, uh, I've been here almost since the beginning and, and myself and Earl Del Martyr, who's who's next to me here, will be speaking this morning. Earl's the director over the second phase of, of the program for addiction uh, called Fresh Wind. <laughs> the first phase of the first ni uh, 90 days, and then Earl takes over at 90 days. I mean, actually, we're both involved in both phases. But anyway, Earl will be talking to you today. So, uh, y'all, there's a lot that we're going to talk about today. You're going to have to keep up and pay attention. Is everybody awake? Yeah. All right, get a cup of coffee if you need it or whatever, because we've got a lot to cover here in just a, a little while, a little bit of time. Um, so today we're going to be talking about four different topics, um, and, and Earl and I will rotate back and forth on each topic, and your handouts have them on it. Generational sin is the first one, soul spirit wounds is the next one, and then ungodly beliefs is the third, and finally demonic oppression. Um, and there's scripture on there, on your handout for you on that, and also a brief definition of each one, and we'll get a little deeper into them as we go along. Um, and we are going to be talking today about, a little bit about addiction, but really, you know, we all, everyone in this room has got an addiction issue. Do you all know that? We're all addicted to sin, you know? We, you know, we, we turn to things other than God all the time instead of turning to God, and by definition, that is a sin. Uh, I talk to the guys when they come in and they're struggling with alcohol and drug addictions, and I tell them, y'all think you're here because you're struggling with alcohol and drugs, but you're really not. You're here because you're wounded, and those wounds are leading you to turn away from God into something else. Uh, and so while you're here, we're going to dig into those things. And today, this morning, we're going we're to dig into some of those things, too. And a couple of these topics are, are pretty difficult to understand I hope you'll get something from them because they're not just for the addicted people in the room, which, by the way, is 40%. The national statistic now says 40% of America has got an addiction issue. It's crazy, isn't it? 40%. But it's also for those of you that are struggling or hurting because you've been wounded. And maybe you haven't turned to addiction yet, but the wounds are still there and they're still holding you back and they're insulating you from the fullness of God's love. So uh, hopefully today this message will be for all of us. One of the things we say in Fresh Wind all the time is knowledge brings understanding, and understanding can lead to change. You have to know. You have to know what's happening to you, um, and you have to understand how it's changed you, and then you can start working on uh, God can really get in your life and start working on change. So hold on tight, and let's kind of let's get started. You know, David uses this illustration a lot. It's the illustration with the body, soul, and spirit. If you'll change that slide for me. There you go. And it's a good place to start because understanding, this is just kind of a little bit of background to help you understand where these wounds occur and how they occur. Uh, we definitely have, and this is just a lens to kind of understand what's going on. Um, uh, we certainly have our body, we have our soul, which is the part of us the believing part, the part of us that, uh, the thinking part, some people say the ethical part, the decision-making part, the emotions are in the soul, and then you have your spirit, 
your spirit is the part, is the life that God gives you when you're, when you're very first born. You know, doctors can kind of predict when a child's heart's going to start beating in the womb, but they can't tell exactly why it starts at that second. But you and I know why, right? Because God reaches into that womb and starts that heart beating. And at that moment, you have a spirit. Whether it follows God or follows something else, you have a spirit. Uh, so body, soul, and spirit are what we're going uh, to start off with a little bit today. Um, so if, if, you, if, you're, if we're going to think about the born-again believer, um, the born-again believer not only has the spirit, that life that God gives them, but the Holy Spirit resides in them also, right? So in the center of your being, you have the Holy Spirit that's constantly encouraging, correcting, uh, it's, it's helping you follow Christ. It's helping you be more like, his son, like God's son. Um, so in that spot, it, it, in the center, is where that happens. In the soul, though, we have all kinds of battles going on. Uh, we, we talk a lot in Fresh Wind about the battlefield of the mind that Joyce Myers talks about so well. Because our beliefs are constantly at war. What we believe and what we think are constantly in battle. We'll get into that a little more when we get into ungodly beliefs here in just a minute. Um, so where do those wounds occur? How do those wounds happen? We're going to talk about those wounds in a lot of different ways this morning. If you go to the next slide for me, that'd be great. One more. Okay. You see all the little devil faces in there, right? They're in the, the, and they primarily are working against us or towards God our soul, what we believe, what we think, right? It's that, it's that conversation that goes on in your head all the time. You know, that the conversation right now that's going on, boy, I wish I was at home asleep in bed, and I wonder what we're going to eat for lunch, and I don't know this guy, and I wish you'd quit talking so much. And all that conversation that's going on in your head all the time, right? That's your soul. That's what you believe, what you think. And it is the lens through which we see everything in the world, right? And in that part of us, that thinking, determining part of us, is where Satan does the most work. And, and Earl's going to talk to us a little bit about demonic oppression here in a minute because it's in that spot where Satan engages us in a, in a very powerful way and tries to convince us to believe lies about who we are and who God is. So that kind of gives you a little uh, background or, or a, a little beginning on towards what we'll be talking about today. So keep that framework that we just talked about in your mind about where this is happening. So the first thing that we talked about uh, bringing up today was generational sin. There you go. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. But, the first verse gets quoted all the time, but this is the one I like. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand years on those who love me and obey my commands, Right? That's a whole lot more than three or four generations, a thousand years he's talking about here. So when we get healing for those, brokenness, those broken places in us, and when we start understanding how to follow God and how much he loves us, that's when the change happens, and that's when this lavish, unfailing love begins for us. That's from Exodus 25 and 6. So there's three primary areas that generational sin kind of is seen in, okay? 
So the first place that we see generational sin is through genetic considerations. The actual flesh part of us, the, the, uh, uh, the part of us that determines if we have black hair or we have red hair or blue eyes or brown eyes or whatever, the genetic makeup. And actually, genetics are handed down, and sometimes those genetics are, are cursed. They're, they're a sin that's handed down. For example, let me give you a couple of examples so you can understand it. Um, when you go to the doctor, one of the first things the doctor asks you is for your background, your, your, your uh, family's background, right? Why are they asking you that? Because they know that certain diseases, certain conditions are handed down genetically from one generation to the next. In my family, there's cancer all the way back to my family, and so that's one of the things I'm always on alert for, right? Uh, so other people will have heart conditions. There's all, uh, I'm a diabetic. My, it skips a generation. I've, uh, you know, in my family, diabetes is kind of handed down through generations. So there is actually a genetic, physical uh, nature that we have that's handed down from generation to generation. As a matter of fact, even down into the genes, into the, into the, the DNA of your body, they've now determined there's a whole new field of medicine called epigenetics, if you have time, take a look at it online. But basically, epigenetics is the way that trauma is handed down in our genes from generation to generation. If your mother, grandmother, grandfather had trauma in his life, it actually changes a genetic marker in, his, in him, and it is handed down from generation to generation. Now, when healing comes for that trauma, interestingly enough, that marker goes away. Uh, so, uh, so there's actually the, the, the genetic passing down from generation to generation of trauma in our lives. Um, you know, the fact that those things are handed down doesn't relieve me or you from the accountability for the sins they create. And we're going to get into that in a little more in just a minute. The second way that their, hand, that their, their generational sin is evident is in modeling or environment. So what we're talking about there is environmental conditions or the way you grew up. My dad was absolutely OCD big time, right? And I could never get anything exactly right. Um, you know, when I was growing up, you know, I made really good grades, but, you know, if I didn't, if I didn't have a 4.0 average, my dad would be on me about it. If I didn't, you know, when I go out and mow the grass, if I missed one little section of grass, he'd be on me about it. He'd make me go back and mow. Um, he, he was just very OCD, you know, obsessive. And consequently, for me, even in my life now, because he trained me that way, if I walk by and see a piece of paper on the floor, I've got to pick it up. <laughs> I can't leave it there, right? Or uh, over at Fresh Wayne at the building, if one of the tables on the chairs is not lined up right, I've got to go over and line it up, or I can't think, right? And that's a learned behavior that I learned from my dad. Um, so, you know, so environmentally, we learn certain types of uh, generational sins and I'm not necessarily saying that's a sin, but that's the idea behind it that are handed down from generation. I mean, really, from generation to generation. My, the guys at Fresh Wind would tell you it's a sin, I'm telling you, because I'm on them all the time about it. Oh, oh did he? I didn't even see it. I'll, I'll, get, with you. I'll get with you later. <laughs> you and I will get together in a minute here. So environmentally or learned behavior is one of the ways that generational sin is handed down. I bet everybody in this room has got things that growing up they said, 
I am not going to be like that when I grow up, right? That your parents did when you were growing up. And you know what's the weirdest thing? 15, 20 years later, you're just like that, <laughs> you know? And most of the time, you're just like it. So that's the second way that generational sin comes into play, through modeling. The third way is a little more difficult to understand, and it's probably the most confusing to, uh, to a lot of us, and it's, it's God's divine curse. Let me explain this to you. Let's, uh, let's pick up in Genesis 3, 16 and 17, and I think it's up on the board there for us, up on the screen. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And then in 17, to Adam, he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree about which I've commanded you, you must not eat, that you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from, from it all the days of your life. That first section, my wife Phyllis jokes about all the time. She says, When I get to heaven, I'm going to find Eve and just beat the tar out of her. Right? It's a painful childbirth. Um, because when that original sin happened, we inherit it. We inherit the, uh, the consequences of it in all generations, right? It's generational sin or a generational curse. The, everything that God says here is still true. So it's handed down from generation to generation. So those are the three primary ways that it's handed down. Now, some applications for it. If you look in Nehemiah 9.2, it talks about, Let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open, that you may hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of your children Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both I and my father's house have sinned. And this, this is uh, in Nehemiah where he's going to them and praying for the generations of sin that have led up to the place where they're at right now. Um, so those are three ways that generational sin, uh, you see genera generational sin come into play. So I'm going to now hand it over to Earl, and he's going to talk with you about soul spirit hurts. Yep. Yeah. Thank you. First of all, happy Valentine, living hope, and to my bride, Annalisa, I love you. Happy Valentine. That woman has put up with more from one husband than all you ladies put together. I can promise you that. <laughs> it's interesting that we that uh, the the Father God is 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 three in one: Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And we are all made in the image of God, right? And just to reinforce what Jerry was saying, we are, we are body, we are soul, and we're spirit, three in one. The scripture says in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, confirming this, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 
I'm going to talk a little bit about soul hurts. But before I talk about my soul hurting, I want to talk about my body hurting. My sisters, as a little kid, they were all older than me, would pick on me quite a bit. As a matter of fact, I'll never forget being pushed down and held down on the, on the steps going upstairs while they were singing, we like peanut butter, you like, as they were poor, putting peanut butter in my hair. And so I started karate class. <laughs> At six years old, I would walk down to the, the street to the karate school, and, and I started karate class, and one constant in my life. And as an adult, we, uh, my wife and I actually uh, own martial arts school in, in Tampa. But when I was a young man, a friend of mine, as a matter of fact, a partner of mine, and I went to the gym. And we're talking about a gym. This is where literally the, the old wrestlers would come, the, uh, uh, the, the wrestlers. This is in downtown Tampa, the professional wrestlers. And it was a stinky, sock-smelling, barbell gym, right? And back then, I was in pretty good shape. And I was, I was working out, and I had my friend lifting my leg up, and he got my right leg, put it all the way up to the wall. And Stephen Kern, one of the fabulous ones, I don't know if you remember those guys, but he came up to me, he was impressed, and he said, wow, I, I want to be able to do that. So I said, well, let me help you. And I went, started to show him how to stretch, and I grabbed his tree trunk leg, and I began to pull it up, and I got it about this far, <laughs> and I couldn't help but to laugh, right? The guy was huge, but he couldn't stretch, he couldn't touch his toes to save his life. A few minutes later, I was on the on the calf raising machine, and I'm just pushing the calves up, and I'm just really grunting and grunting, and he says, hey, Earl. He said, where's those rustlers? I said, rustlers? He said, yeah, the ones that stole your calves. <laughs> I've, got, I've got really tiny legs, right? So let me back up just a moment and go to when I was about seven years old. I was walking with my father. You can change the slide if you, if you have any of those. Yeah, that one, please. And I'm, I'm walking in the Riggers Union. My dad, those, well, I should say those wrestlers had nothing on my dad. He was big. He was strong, early man. He was a, he was a rigger, and uh, he was uh, one of the bosses. And I was walking along with them down into the, um, uh, into the, in the union and just so proud to be with my dad. And he looked down at me, and I was wearing shorts, and, you know, I'm thinking or hoping, I'm sure, that he's going to say, you're such a big boy. And you know what he said? He looked at my legs, and he said, son, you have such tiny legs, you, you, such small legs, something, skinny legs. It just burst my bubble. I know it sounds silly, insignificant, I get it. But in that moment, it, it, just, it just blew my mind. I didn't cry, I didn't weep, but boy, I never forgot that. And so after we were working out and we laughed at the joke the guy said when, I'm, when we were an adult at the gym, I'd been sober about two months at the time, all day long, when he made that joke about my calves. It stirred up, it stirred up, it stirred up. And you know, I ended up using drugs that same day. I went back out. You see... Unhealed soul wounds can be triggered by events of today. And that's why it's so important when Jerry talks about getting healing for these wounds. My mom 
and dad always used to fight. My dad would smack her around, and I would try to get in front and stop him, and he would move me aside, of course, reinforcing that little Earl thing. That I'm not going to be big enough. I'm not going to be strong enough. I'm not going to be able to do anything to make my dad proud. And throughout my life, other things, <coughs> the enemy would, would reinforce those kind of thoughts. They would reinforce and reinforce those thoughts. And that soul wound, that, that soul wound literally turned into a stronghold in my life. My, lost, my mom left home when I was eight years old. My dad, who was a raging alcoholic, was left to raise me. But when I was 12 years old, I began drinking alcoholically smoking marijuana. When I was 16, I started doing cocaine. The more pain, the more pain reliever, right? The more pain, the more pain reliever. And it kept going on and on. You know, eventually, addicts, now I'm not saying all soul wounds create addicts. That's not the case, but it is the case often, and it certainly was in my case. And at this point, we <laughs> train our minds. Listen to this. We go, and it, this is re regarding addiction a little bit here. We train our minds because every time that wound rises up or that, old, that emotion from the past rises up in an event from the day, it brings that pain. And the first thing I want to do, right, I, I want to stop that pain. And I've taught my brain that I don't have to feel. So now it's instinctive. Now it's habit. So now any time the pain rises up, what do addicts do? They self-medicate. But let me explain something very important. I found some things that Jerry also speaks about. You know those strategic prayers he talks about? And the prayer we do at the prayer house with Fresh Wind and, and, and the folks that pray over us and bring forth healing? You know the worship that we had this morning and, and those, an intimate counseling session with, with, a, with a counselor and, 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 and Christ. In those moments, I found that Christ truly can and desires to show up. Christ desires to illuminate. There's, a, there's something called theophostic prayer. It, theo meaning God, phostic meaning illumination. And, and Christ comes in. And he illuminates the lie, and this is what he did for me on several occasions. The lies that I've been believing and that have been reinforced over and over as I grew up, he showed me that they were in fact lies and that I could be somebody, that I could be somebody special, that I could do something special. I could do something that, that was kingdom worthy, right? Praise be to God. Amen. So with that being said, I, I found that Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the truth detector and lie destroyer. Amen? I found that Jesus, my heavenly father, told me and created in me that I could do abundantly more than I ever could dare think, <coughs> ask, or imagine. So through, through Christ, all things truly are possible. Those wounds can be healed. Jesus is able. Think fast. All right. So let's pick it up where Earl left it off a little bit, and, and I want to talk with you about what happens when those wounds happen. 
<coughs> whether they be generational or however they come, because they can also come from things that happen to us in our life. But what they lead to is un an ungodly belief in our life, things that we believe that are not the truth. There is only one truth. There is only one. His name's Jesus, really. But in his word is the truth about who he is and who we are. But our world wants to teach us different. And our world and the flesh does a great job of that. Uh, the belief, our beliefs are, in essence, who we are. It, it's, it's how we see the world. Uh, the, the number one thing that God says for, for us to be saved is what? To do what on the Lord Jesus Christ? Believe. Believing is important. What we believe shapes everything that we see. Um, and it's how we live our lives, through our beliefs. If they're false beliefs, it leads to a lot of destruction. So exposing ungodly beliefs and replacing them with the truth is, is, is critical for us. Um, equipping, <coughs> excuse me, equipping ourselves to identify what's a lie and what's the truth will lead to a life of truth or a life that's lived through lies. So let's real quickly do some definitions about uh, what we're going to be talking about. A belief is a conviction, a persuasion that we develop and on which we base our life, our thoughts, our words, decisions, and actions. A belief is not necessarily based on facts, but rather on interpretation of the facts and experiences that we have. That last part is very important. A belief is not necessarily based on facts, on the truth. It's not necessarily based on the truth, but it can be based on other, on other things which we call ungodly beliefs. A godly belief is a conviction that we hold which agrees with God, his word, his character, or nature. The word of God, scripture, and God, and also his nature. What the, the, you know, what the Bible tells us about who God is, his nature, is part of the truth, Right? So a godly belief would agree with those things. And a godly belief is a conviction that's not in accordance with God, his word, character, and nature. It's a lie. And who's the father of lies? We know who that is, right? Satan. Right. Yeah. So an ungodly belief is a conviction that's not in accordance with God, his word, character, and nature. A belief system is a collection of beliefs through which we see, experience, and interpret the world around us. Uh, tends to compromise both godly, true beliefs, and ungodly beliefs. So the way, the way to think about it is like this. If we're looking through glasses, and the truth is the clearness of the lens, and the lies are cracks in the glass, pretty soon what we see is a distorted view of what we're looking at, right? And the more cracks there are in the glass, the less we can see what's actually happening. And what God wants to do is to come in and, and through truth and through his love start repairing the cracks that we can see clearly what's happening. So a belief system is comprised of things that are true that, that where the clear spots are and then there, it's also comprised of the lies where the cracks are and the, and the blemishes in the glass where we can't see. We all live by what we believe no matter whether it's based on truth or lies. Uh, the truth creates the basis for godly belief systems in our thinking, and likewise, lies create the basis for ungodly belief systems in our lives. So if we, to give you a little better understanding of it is, let's talk, let's talk a little bit about what an ungodly belief sounds like or looks like. 
An ungodly belief would be comprised of a statement like, no one loves me. And man, I hear that from these guys all the time. You know, nobody loves me. Uh, I'm stupid or defective, right? You know, I experienced some of that from my dad's OCD-ness. You know, I, I never could get anything right, and I just fought all the time to be perfect, which is not possible, by the way. I'm all alone, or God doesn't love me. Um, however, most ungodly beliefs are not this absolute. They're a distortion, kind of a, you know, where Satan sneaks in and gives you a half-truth. But the half-lie is the part you see through, right? So a dangerous ungodly belief is one that's well hidden in our heart and subconscious that we don't think about, but we live our lives from anyway. Kind of like what Earl was talking about with his skinny legs. Which, by the way, he doesn't have skinny legs anymore. I've seen his legs. They look great now. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, that whole, that's, a, that's an ungodly belief, right? Uh, so how are they formed? We talked about this a little bit already. The natural unredeemed mind. In other words, the sin, our sinful nature is one of the ways that distorts the truth for us. Our family, culture, or nationality can, can create an ungodly belief what we grow up in, what we learn in our family, even the culture itself. You know, for years and years in America, racism was part of our culture, and I'm sure it is still to, to some degree now. We were taught culturally those lies, right? So it came from the culture, and even now we're fighting to change the culture enough that, that's, that racism is not a part of it anymore. Um, also, experiences of hurt, which is what I talked about a minute ago. Times when we get hurt, it creates a wound, and that wound creates a distortion, and it leads to an ungodly belief, right? So the results of ungodly beliefs are that they block our faith in God and the truth of his promises. It literally insulates us from God. Those lies prevent us from getting closer to God, and it hinders God's ability to bless us. Uh, so if you look at the scripture, what the scripture has said to say about it in Romans 12 too, and I think, you know, we've heard the scripture over and over again, but it's exactly what we're talking about today. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Uh, so it's really talking about not copying the behavior and customs of this world, but letting God change you, transform you into a new person. Uh, the Holy Spirit does most of the work in that. It sanctifies our mind, and the goal is to be transformed into the image of Christ. So how does that, that's how that works out, but involved in that is Satan's role. All right. I want to share a little bit about the difference between demon <coughs> possession and demonic oppression. There is a difference. Uh, my wife and I, as I mentioned, owned martial arts schools in Tampa, a school. And um, there was a lady there that I taught her son. She happened to be a, a police officer. And she wanted to help us to build a, yet a second uh, martial arts school on the other side of Tampa. So she was going to loan us the money, and she did. She loaned us $15,000. And all of a sudden, I'm triggered again. And I remember telling myself, you know what? I'm going to, this is going to be my last hurrah. 
I'm going to take $300, get one more blast, $10,000, and 10 days later, of course, you can imagine my wife as she's hunting me down, crying and praying and calling, trying to find me. Seeing the bank account, cha-ching, cha-ching, every day go down. You see, I was, I was in the midst of demonic presence, and I, was, I had gotten demon-possessed. I was in some of the places you would never want to go, trust me. I got so far down, there was times I remember trying to call her on the phone, and then something would pull me back. The next day, I would do the same thing. And not, not only the, the enemy, but, but the people I was around, the drug dealer, the other people. They wouldn't let me go. I finally got her on the phone 10 days later, and she came to pick me up. And I remember going, reaching for the door, and, and couldn't even get to the door hardly. Finally, I get the door open, and I'm laying down in the car. Now, she could tell you this story way better than I could. She was, I was screaming and hollering and fighting and scratching at the ceiling, kicking at the door while she and her friends were praying for me and praying over me. This, was, this is demon possession. Soon after that, praise be to God, I found myself here in Athens, Georgia at the Third Step family home. And this preacher came in one day, Lee McNeil, and he said, he said, you know what, Earl, you need to know something. When you go to the throne of God, when you go to God, you can and should go expecting a miracle. So that very day, Palm Sunday, 1998, I walked in to this particular anointed ground. I walked in here. I was at one of those seats, probably where Vivian is. And as I was standing there pleading for my life, Jesus gave me a vision of himself, lifting my hands to him as he spoke to my heart. And he said, Earl, surrender to me. And in that moment, I realized what he meant. He didn't want, me to, he didn't want to be a part of my life anymore. He wanted me to give me my life. He wanted, he wanted all of me. And in that moment, not only did he save my soul, but he delivered me from my crack cocaine addiction. God is able. Amen? Now, I can no longer be demon-possessed. My soul, my spirit man is alive and well. God radically changed my life. And he awoke my spirit man. And now daily I try to feed that spirit man. You see, because if we don't do this, this is where demonic oppression can come in. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5.8, says that the devil seeks to devour believers. The next scripture in Ephesians 6.11, Satan and his demons scheme against Christians. You see, Christians who continue to knowingly sin open themselves up for oppression, for greater and greater oppression. 
I, I know a guy, again, the, the Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 8, that, that the devil prowls like a roaring lion, waiting to see who he can devour. So this man I know, he's a mighty hunter, literally. He goes to Russia and hunts bears with bow and <coughs> arrows. He goes to uh, uh, Africa and hunts lions, and he told me the story about when he was hunting lions and what he learned. He saw that the lions did not chase after the big, the big, fast gazelle. No, they would crouch, and they, would be, they were patient, and they would wait for the sickly, the broken, the wounded animal. And then he would pounce. And that wounded animal are those Christians that decide not to read the word anymore or not do their daily devotions or journal or, or, or worship God in, 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 in not just in praise and worship, but, but in their daily lives. You see, we begin to get sick. If we don't feed that spirit man every day, trust me when I say the flesh man will get fed. The flesh gets fed all day long, every day, whether we like it or not, doesn't it? So we've got to be purposeful. We've got to be intentional about feeding the spirit man. And let me tell you, though, confession and repentance is key. Confession and repentance is key to restore fellowship with God because we know the enemy wants to separate us from that relationship with Jesus Christ. So with repentance, that will restore our fellowship with God who can then break the power of demonic influence in our life. So God, again, is able and desires to, to continue to keep us strong, keep us moving forward, keep us growing, protect us. But we have to do our part to, to, so that we don't open ourselves up for that demonic oppression. Amen. So I want to I want to save a few minutes for questions here, <coughs> but I also would challenge you this week. Uh, you see the number to text to on the screen up there if you have questions, or you in just a minute we'll have a mic so we can answer a few questions. But I but so, so it's a lot of information. We talked about a lot of things, but the big key to this is going back and examining your life individually. What are the, how did you get wounded and, and getting prayer for that? We have a, a prayer house here. You can get prayer. You can sign up and get prayer anytime. And, and I'm talking about what we do here mo with healing prayer is surgical prayer. It, uh, there, there's different kinds of prayer. Yes, it's, it's a great thing to pray for family members that are needing prayer and for your cat you lost or whatever. They lost all the time anyway. So, But, but this is surgical prayer. This is prayer where someone can carry you to the throne of God and let him, not us, shine the light on the, on the places that you're hurt and, and how that's led you to believe things that aren't true, right? And when you start straightening out those beliefs, the whole world looks different. Everything looks completely different, right? And uh, the other thing is there's a whole lot more light, L-I-G-H-T, in your life, L-I-F-E, when you do that. You're able to see things that you couldn't see before. You're able to see dark places, and you're able to see spiritual uh, issues that, you know, places where Satan is working and stay away from. 
but I want to give some time to answer a few questions here because there's a lot of hard topics that we talked about this morning. So, so if you have a question, raise your hand or text it in. Uh, Shannon's going to have the other mic. Could we bring that slide up again of the three circles? Because I think it gives great clarity to the role of the demonic in a believer versus an unbeliever. And you did a great job. So that the believer who's indwelt with the Holy Spirit can't be possessed because only the Holy Spirit can possess that spirit circle. But he can bring bondage, strongholds, and oppression to you, and that would be the body and the soul circles. So the believer, through, un through uh, sin, through uh, other actions, can give place to the enemy. Ephesians 4.27 says, don't give the devil a place. If you give place to the enemy, then he can establish strongholds in your body circle or your soul circle, but he could never enter your spirit circle. Yes? Jerry or Earl, what advice would you give to spouses, family members, friends of those caught up in addiction? Some absolute do's and some absolute don'ts. Great question. Well, I asked that last week, too. It's, it's a tough answer. <laughs> it's a tough, tough question. Um, first of all, I would say don't lose hope. Don't lose hope because God is more powerful than any addiction. He's more powerful than any brokenness in your life. Uh, so don't lose hope. But Do you yeah, pray? Do you pray? Yep, absolutely, yeah. Uh, pray is obviously one of them. But the other thing, too, that is the hard part of this is that if you're doing, I'm talking about the family member or the loved one, if you're doing anything at all that's supporting their ability in any way to continue to use drugs and alcohol, stop. Stop it. And that includes letting them live in a house with you and use that house as a safe place for them to be able to continue to use. Uh, I, have call, I have mothers sometimes that will talk to me about their sons. I, I have conversations all week with moms. Moms are special. Um, and I tell them, they'll say, well, I love my son. I can't kick him out. And I say, well, you need to love him more. You need to love him enough to allow him to suffer because he's got to. Consequences are critical to change. Um, and so you can't in any way condone, support, give money, whatever. You can't in any way support him to continue to use because if they do, 80% of the time they're going to be in prison or dead in five years. And there's a lot of guys in this room, they're in fresh wind, and they can, they'll tell you. Usually in an addiction issue, there's always an addict and an enabler. Mm. And so you just can't be that enabler. And it's real hard. I mean, it's difficult. I have to kick guys out, and I don't sleep for two days when I kick them out a lot of times. But I know they have got to learn the consequence. They've got to, it's, you know. It's got to do it. Good question, though, Steve. We see that, don't we, all the time. And it tears us up. Yes? Um, I want to ask, what do you do when you see, like, your drug, nothing is wrong with the drug that you do because it kind of don't compare to the other drug. You know, like uh, I smoke marijuana, but I see nothing wrong with it. Even though, you know, I still do my thing with God, but what, what do I do? How do I challenge that, you know? I'm not sure if I understood what you're saying. You're saying you, you, you do smoke marijuana, and you don't, you don't feel that that's real harmful? Yeah. Okay. Well, it's a psychoactive substance. And here's the key. If 
you're receiving, you're receiving a physical need from something outside of Christ. You're missing out on the abundant life he came to give to us. That's, a, that's one very important reason why we need not to be doing other substances, doing, uh, uh, taking other drugs rather than, than trying to seek our answers and get our healing and get our, what we need from Christ himself. Um, another reason is it opens you up. When, when, when you smoke marijuana, it opens you up to, again, demonic oppression, and if you are not a believer, certainly demon possession. You're opening yourself up to that as well as, well, let's just try something else one day because maybe this isn't giving me enough of what I need. So you tend to do something else. So it can be a real slippery slope. But one big thing is you're missing out on the abundant life Christ came to give to you. That's good. Another question, could you explain in more detail the issue of surgical prayer? Yeah, that's, uh, you know, I tell the guys sometimes when I send them for prayer the first time, they, they don't want to go sometimes. You know, they're like, nah, I'm not going to do that. I don't, I don't want to go do that. And, uh, and I tell them, I say, look, you know, you've been here long enough. Just trust me. You just need to go. I can't explain to you what's going to happen there's no words I can give you that will explain what visiting the throne of God is like. We don't have adequate language for that, I can tell you. And, I, and they go. But, but when I'm talking about surgical prayer, uh, a lot of times what, uh, what we don't do is we don't go to the throne with an open heart and a willingness for God to work in us. Um, you know, these wounds, we don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. You know, because whenever I go there, I cry, or whenever I go there, you know, I hurt. You know, I don't want to go there, right? And uh, in, in surgical prayer, you know, I don't really want to go to the doctor and have surgery either, but I know if I don't go have surgery, it's going to be worse, right? Um, and and that's, that's kind of the concept that I'm talking about with surgical prayer. It's, it's uh, uh, someone carrying you to the throne of God in his presence and letting him decide what is the, what today, what is the thing he wants to shine a light on and show you the lie that you're believing there and, and start the healing process there? And, you know, a lot of times when I, and I go for prayer regularly, a lot of times when I go, I've got in my mind, I'm going to go get prayer for this, mm-hmm. right? I need help with this, God. Let me point you where you need to go, right? And I go in there, and someone carries me a throne, and we don't go there. We go somewhere totally different because God knows I need that first, Right? And a lot of times it's somewhere that I would have never guessed that God carries me uh, because he's the surgeon. <laughs> you know what? He's looking at the x-rays, my heart and all that. He knows exactly where the cancer is and he wants to get at it, right? So the uh, way you do that here is you contact Pastor Jimmy or Rachel Sims and you set up an appointment to literally meet with about two people in our house of prayer and they will guide you in this. And we even offer it by Zoom. So that's a way to do that if you want to experience that surgical yep. prayer. Here's a really good question. Do you apply these same principles that you've talked about to other addictions such as work, sex addiction, food? And if so, kind of a, a word about how to apply these to other addictions versus, uh, other than drugs and alcohol. Yeah. See, it's really the addiction. 
is not the problem. It is a problem, let me tell you. But, but what the problem is, is the brokenness and woundedness that leads us to turn to something other than God so that we can feel better, right? And it really doesn't matter what that addiction is. It's all sin. I mean, it does matter in that some of them are more difficult than others. I mean, some of them will kill you faster than others will. Um, and, and we all have different things that we turn to, gambling, sex addiction, uh, my wife, Phyllis, is a counselor and works with folks on all kinds of sexual issues, and we talk sometimes, and, you know, it's, it's the same drug. You know what the drug is? It's sin. I want to do this, and when I know I shouldn't, I should turn to God and do this. It's the, same, it's the same thing. Now, some of these addictions are more powerful, I think, than others. The consequences are more dramatic, faster, and drugs and alcohol is one of them. Uh, it can be work. Some guys are workaholics. They don't want to face their stuff, and if they stay busy all the time, and some, some gals do, some ladies too, and so they work, 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 so they never slow down and have to deal with the, the wounds that they have and the things that are in their life that need to change. It, it can be work, it can be power, it can be money, uh, it can be anything that, anytime you're turning to something other than God to fulfill a need, a perceived need, you're turning away from him to turn to it. And when you turn away from God, by definition, it's a sin. Anytime you do that, you're turning away from him, right? All right, I want you all to, uh, actually, one more, one more. Okay. This is a tough one. <coughs> what advice would you give to the caregivers of young children who've been taken away from their parents because of their parents' addiction? So the parents have an addiction, children are removed, and you're a caregiver to those children, maybe a foster parent or your grandparent. Boy, that's a tough one, isn't it? That's um, why we pay you the big bucks, brother. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, so if you're the caregiver, know this, they're wounded. Mm. They're deeply wounded, right? And they're already starting, I'm talking about the children, they're already starting to believe lies about their, about, that are ungodly. They're already starting to believe that their parents maybe don't love them enough or they wouldn't fill in the blank, do whatever it is. Um, they already have gone through periods of time where their parents, I assume that's what they're talking about, parents, are, are using drugs and the house is sliding away and it's not safe anymore. The environment at home is not safe for a child. Uh, if a child doesn't, get, doesn't perceive safety and love, they're wounded, deeply wounded. And uh, so for the caregiver, I would say be ready because it's going to manifest somehow. It's going to come out and, and counseling, you need, you need help with that. There's a reason Jesus was called the Great Counselor, obviously because he is the Great Counselor, but also because one of the ways we work through our hurts is by talking it out and talking with someone and getting it out. Uh, a lot of times in counseling, I just listen a lot for long periods of time, and I'm saying that that child is going to need counseling, absolutely going to need some counseling and prayer, um, and it's going to manifest, so you just got to be ready. Uh, it, you know, it's going to come out. Got to do this one. This will be the truly last one. And you've also, on that other note, you've also made a comment that's been helpful for me. You've said, hurt people hurt people. So when, when somebody is hurting you, and this could apply not only to these helping a child who's come, been removed from their parents, but a coworker that lashes out, that hurts you, trying to understand, not excusing the behavior and the sin, but realizing there's probably a hurt behind the way they're responding to you, and to really try to be compassionate toward that. Final question, because you've said this addiction can sometimes be harder to overcome than even cocaine or meth, smoking. Yeah. What about smoking? 
nicotine is the most physically addictive substance in the world. It's more physically addictive than cocaine. Now, I know these guys that use these drugs are saying, no, no, no. But if you talk to them, as a matter of fact, I've got a good friend who I was having this conversation with the other day. I said, look, nicotine's highly addictive. It's very, very addictive. Amen. Amen, right, Jimmy? Yeah. We were talking about this the other day, weren't we? Yeah. So uh, my advice to someone who's trying to quit using cigarettes is the same advice I'd give to someone that's trying to quit using drugs. You've got to have God in it. You can't do it by yourself. You cannot do it by yourself. You've got to have accountability and friends that will help you. Prayer is critical. I mean, because that, you know, that cigarette, that nicotine's going to call out all day long, man. And physically, it makes you sick, doesn't it? Um, so, uh, you know, and, and, and it's, it's killing you. And, and again, you're turning to something other than God to help you feel better. So it's really, in that way, not any different than, than the others. So. I want to mention also my wife, she quit smoking several, several years ago. And she discovered when she started on that journey that she actually liked it. And she had to, and I hope I'm saying this correctly, Annalisa, but she had to begin praying that God would give her the desire to want to quit. Mm. And then... After praying diligently, God actually began giving you that desire to quit. It started smelling bad. It started tasting bad. Yeah. Things of that nature. So I thought that was pretty profound for my wife. All right. I want you both, as the worship team comes, prayer team get ready to be there available for people. Yeah. Just a final word of hope. Can you just give a yeah. cup, just a final word of, of just hope and oh, encouragement absolutely. and the victory that Jesus offers? Yeah. So in Fresh Wind, one of the things that I, I tell the servant leaders and the guys that are helping us in our prayer teams, don't focus on the ones that we can't help. Focus on the ones that God heals. And we see this every day. Uh, I see men that have been, in, been enslaved to drugs and alcohol for 20, 25 years, that have been to prison, that have lived under a bridge or lived homeless for six, seven, eight years. I see God transform them. They're not even the same person anymore. And there's some of them sitting in this room right now that went through fresh wind that know what I'm talking about. You won't even recognize them. They don't even look the same, think the same, or any of that. So there's always hope. But the hope is always in Christ and not in the world or anything else that you might turn to. Jerry Earl, thank you. And we've got one more week. Next week is on how to get free and stay free. Five truths that really work. You know, we've got to reach out. We've got to take that step. We've got to ask the Lord to show us the areas that need changing. Prayer is one way. But we really pray that this series just goes beyond today. It carries into tomorrow and the next day and set up an appointment for counseling, for prayer ministry. Text more questions in. We want to be a place that brings healing. And we know that's a process. Sometimes there's, boom, instant deliverance. Absolutely, I've seen it. I've casted demons out of people. But other times, it's a process. And we want to be a loving church that brings truth and grace to bear and that walks with people through the process, doesn't expect instant victory. And that's what we want to be as a church. And you guys are agents of healing, too. You take this truth, you take these principles, and you share with them to people during the week. Ask God to put you in contact with people who need this. Refer them to the message. Pray for them. Offer help. 
So prayer team, if you'd be available, please, if you need prayer for yourself or someone else, altars open just to come and kneel and pray. And these guys will be available after the service. Come up and talk to them. Let's stand together as we sing a final song of hope, God's grace to break the chains.